listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. A little disclaimer here up front. A little disclaimer. Uh, I, I, I may step on some toes today. And I, I need you to understand that, that there's a heart behind it. Um, I think this is an important sermon. I think it's an important message for where we're at right now in our nation. And um, I, I'm asking you to open your heart and your minds to it, okay? Um, but this, this, this can be a polarizing, um, at least parts of this can be polarizing. Once we get towards the end, I think you'll realize it a little bit more. Um, I will tell you this. Today, today, part of my praise, I was joining, I was joining, With my hands raised this morning in worship, I was joining with 64 million babies that have been aborted since Roe versus Wade as they were encamped around the throne of God worshiping him today. And I just pictured Jesus just looking at them going, I told you it was going to be okay. I told you it was going to be all right. And I know, I know that it's polarizing. I know that there's a lot of mixed emotions with it. Here's what I believe about my Jesus. I do not believe that he would inconvenience someone else in order to make someone else's life better. I just don't believe that. And I have strong views on abortion. If you've been around here, you know we do more than just talk about it. We put our money where our mouth is, as we are huge supporters of CIRA, the Pregnancy Center. We want to help eliminate that from, from the dialogue and from the decision-making process for, for young women that are facing that, not just young women, but also young men. And, and all the effects of all that. If you want to have a private conversation with me, you call the office, you set up an appointment, I'll be more than happy to walk you through Scripture. And, um, and, and, it, and I know, I know that this doesn't fix everything. I know that the Supreme Court decision doesn't fix it all. We've still got a lot of problems in our society. Um, we've still got problems with adoption. We've got problems with foster care, all of that stuff. And, and at DCC, we're doing something about that. We are. We just had, just, just a couple of weeks ago, we had training here, and, and 40-something new foster homes were trained in this room right here and over a two-day period and two-and-a-half-day period. We're doing something about it, I promise you. It, it doesn't fix all the problems. And, and, and listen, for those of you that are on the side of, of, of women's rights, I, if you know me, you know my heart, I fight for the rights of all. I do. That is my heart. That's where I'm at. I, I didn't tell you it fixes all the problems, but a major blemish on, on the um, face of America has, has been abortion. And I believe there's other ways to fix some of these problems. And now we've just got to pray hard. We've got to pray hard. We've been praying, and I saw God answer a prayer this week. We continue to pray. I don't want you to think for one second that I am naive and that it fixes everything, but I believe we're another step closer. Amen? I said we're another step closer. Amen? Amen. 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 So today, let's dive into this. And um, today my subject is witness protection. This is just a one-week sermon. This is not a series. It's called witness protection. Um, I'm praying that by the end of this sermon, I do not have to enter into witness protection. And that everyone has grace with me. Amen? Have you ever met someone in the federal witness protection program? Have you? You ever actually met someone? How do you know? How do you, I could be in the witness protection program, and you just don't even know about it, right? Since its inception in 1970, more than 7,500 witnesses 
and more than 9,500 witness family members have entered into the witness protection program. And these witnesses, they, they possess vital information to help prosecute criminal cases. Their testimony is, is critical. <clears throat> and for some people, some people that are, are not so nice that they may have been involved with at one time, um, that, that the, this information, this information could, could actually send them to prison, sometimes they don't want these people to live. Therefore, they have to put them in a witness protection program to keep them alive so that their testimony can stay alive because their testimony is so critical. And so it, 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 could, it could cost them their life. You have to understand that. So they are protected, relocated, and given new identities by the U.S. Marshals. And so I'll ask you again. How do you know if you have ever met someone in the witness protection program? Uh, personally, I, I'm convinced that we have someone right here in, in West Alachua County in the program. I'm not going to say who they are, who I think they are. There's only one other person in this room that can attest to what I'm, I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you the name. If you walk up to me after service and say, it's so-and-so, is it? I'm just going to keep a straight face because I don't want to die. Okay? But... I do. This person just showed up out of nowhere. They came to small town USA. And one time when someone stole some money from them, they told me and somebody else in this room that they wanted to cut off every finger of this person. And they were serious. They said, I want to cut off every finger and I want to drill out their kneecaps. Sounded like organized crime to me. So <laughs> you decide, right? Nevertheless, the purpose of the witness protection program <clears throat> is to keep the witnesses safe so that they can testify at trials that could convict members of organized crime, gangs, and even terrorist networks. And so it, it's, it's needed. Today I want us to do something, though, and, and I want to flip the script a little bit on this because I want us to look at the Lord's witness protection, the Lord's witness protection and what that means for us. And it's set up a, a, a lot different than the, the witness protection program that's ran by the U.S. Marshals. It, it really has nothing to do with it because rather than encourage you to live a life of anonymity, the, the witness protection that I'm talking about, this one actually encourages you to be seen. In the kingdom of God, when I speak of witness protection, it encourages you to share your testimony publicly and live your life on the radar, on the grid, not off the grid, on the grid, taking a stand for the cause of Christ. How many of you here are willing to take a stand for the cause of Christ? Amen? I said you're willing to take a stand for the cause of Christ. It, it, it may cost you popularity. It may cost you some friendships. It, it, might, it might cost you a job. It might cost you uh, uh, so much. It, it might even cost you your Facebook page because it's, you, you might get you know, deleted off Facebook or at least put in Facebook jail. I don't know. But, but, but I, I'm telling you that there is something in a believer's life that if we can get this, it, 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 it's, it's important for us. To have that testimony and to have that witness. John chapter 12. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 12. And in a moment I'm going to turn back one, one chapter to John chapter 11. I'm going to kind of do this in spurts. So if you will just leave your Bible or your digital device open. And uh, so that you can stay with me. The scriptures will be on the screen. If you did not bring your Bible or your digital device. Or you're just too lazy to open it. It will be on the screen for you. Here we go. John chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 to begin with. You ready? Somebody say amen. Church, I'm going to need you with me today, okay? I can't do this one by myself. You're going to have to be with me. If you're ready, say amen. amen. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. 
So they gave him a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Let's stop there just for a moment. There's so much to process here, and and I've I've got to get us there. I promise you in just a few moments, I'm going to read some scripture to you that if you've read it before, you've probably overlooked it. Maybe you didn't dive into it enough or didn't actually actually glean what, what the meaning was here and what it means for us. So just stay with me, but, but I've got to set the stage for you before we get there. So, so let's talk about what we just read. Jesus returned to Bethany. Bethany is the hometown of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. They're siblings. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are siblings. This is the place that, that we read about where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, they are now having a dinner party in the honor of Jesus. After all, he is the resurrection and the life, and he has revealed that to them as he has raised their brother from the dead. But let's not get ahead of ourselves, okay? They're holding a dinner party because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And and remember now, their brother was dead for four days until Jesus showed up. When Jesus shows up in Bethany, Lazarus is in a tomb, he's wrapped in grave clothes, and the Bible says this. The Bible says that, that Jesus was angry. It, it's, a, it's an odd statement, but the Bible says that he, as he stood before that tomb, he was angry. I believe I know what he was angry at. I believe that he was angry at the circumstances surrounding death. I believe that he got so angry with death that eventually Jesus went down uh, uh, upon his death. He went down during that three days to death, hell, and the grave, and he took the keys back because he wants to be in control of death. You see, death for an unbeliever is not the finality for us because he holds the keys. We know that we have eternal life. Amen? So he stands before this tomb of his friend Lazarus, and as he's standing there, the Bible says that he is angry. And then he commands them to roll the stone out of the way. And they roll the stone back. And then he he looks into that tomb and he commands Lazarus. He commands him to stand up and to walk out of that tomb. Now, the man that raised their brother from the dead, I would say he deserves a party. And that's what they're doing in our text. They're throwing a dinner party in his honor. He's come back to Bethany. And, and, and now they want to celebrate him. So they're surrounded by close friends and followers of Jesus. And, and in this moment, Mary becomes so overwhelmed in the presence of Jesus, the man that raised her brother from the dead. She becomes so overwhelmed that, that she retreats to the back of the house. She grabs a bottle of, of the most expensive perfume. She comes back in and in worship to him, she bows down at his feet and she pours the perfume over his feet. It's extravagant. I know, it's, it's crazy. We don't worship like that. This is not how you and I would do it, but we've never had a sibling raised from the dead either. And she, she pours this expensive perfume all over the feet of Jesus. Now, before you criticize Mary, please understand all of her circumstances. She is one of three siblings. One of her siblings is dead. That means 50% of the people that she's closest to was lifeless, She was never going to, as far as she knows, she's never going to hear her brother's voice again. 
And in this moment of despair, before Jesus raises him from the dead, in a moment of despair, she openly criticized Jesus publicly. Right there in front of God and everybody, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How many of you are thankful today that God is not afraid of our open criticism sometimes? Amen? Because, man, he would have toasted me a long time ago. You know, it's just moments in life that I think God gets it. He created all of our emotions. Now, listen, I'm not telling you to walk outside and start testing God. But but I am telling you this. in, In the real moments of raw emotion, I think God gets it. I think he understands that, that when, when you pray and you're like, God, you know, I, I really need this job, but yet they lay you off from the job and you're, you're, you're thinking to yourself, God, where are you in my circumstance? Or, or when your child is sick and, and you don't feel like God is, is coming to the rescue for that, God, where are you? When you lose a loved one to, to COVID or when you lose a loved one to a sickness and, and, and you wonder, well, God, where are you in the middle of all of this? And, and, and I'm just thankful that in the middle of our questions, in the middle of all that, I'm just so thankful that God just has grace for dummies like me. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. The Bible says that in that moment, Jesus is moved by compassion, even to tears. And that's when he commands his dead friend to live again. And sitting in the presence of Jesus, Mary contemplating all of that, she can't help herself. Her worship is extravagant, but he's a savior that deserves extravagant praise. Now, the evidence shows us that the chief priests were not invited to the party. You must understand this. The chief priests, the ones that were always in opposition to Jesus, they were not invited to this dinner party. We know. You go back one page, uh, one chapter, John chapter 11, starting with verse 47. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you That one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest, that he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. They are ready at this moment to kill Jesus, church. Now the scripture goes on to tell us, that Jesus could no longer move freely around the Jews. He, he had to, to change locations from house to house, from location to location, under the cover of darkness. He could no longer move around and, and, and just walk among the Jews because now the high priests, they want to kill him. The, the chief priests want to kill him. So he just can't move around, and and he retreats to the wilderness with his disciples. We don't know exactly how long he stays there, but it is safer for him there, so he retreats to the wilderness. But when it was time for the Passover celebration, many Jews that lived, the Bible says that many Jews that lived out in the country, that they would come to the city, they would come to Jerusalem to purify themselves for the feast of Passover. 
And so it, it raises this question, and, and, and the chief priests and, their, and, and the religious leaders in their hearts and minds, they want to know, is Jesus coming back to Jerusalem? Because if he is, we're going to be ready for him. John chapter 11, verse 56. <clears throat> they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. They wanted Jesus. They were ready to arrest him. They were ready to, to try him. They were ready to crucify him because he was a threat to their power, he was a threat to their beliefs, and he was a threat to their way of life. Church, let me tell you what the world has a problem with right now with us as Christians. Hear me out. They have a problem with us because our belief system our faith in, in Jesus Christ. Listen, there's a lot that believe in, in, in a deity. There's a lot that will call on God. But there's something different when you call on the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus told us that he's the only way to the Father. He's the way, the truth, and the life. We know that. The world doesn't like that. And the reason why is because it, it threatens their power, it threatens their beliefs, and it threatens their way of life. And so the world is threatened by, <clears throat> by the mention of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. Check, check. The world is threatened by our belief system because it threatens their power, their beliefs, and their way of life. And in this moment, the following of Jesus Christ was beginning to grow. There was word about the miracles that were taking place. Let's go back to the dinner party. Mary, Martha, and Laz, they, they would have never invited the chief priests. They wanted to kill Jesus. They would have never invited them to the party, but, but I'm convinced of this. Now, I'm just looking at the research, okay? Just doing my private detective work here, okay? They had an informant in the house, if Jesus is moving around in private, from house to house, location to location, he can't just walk among the Jews anymore. If they find out, if the chief priests find out that Jesus is there in that house, someone has to tell them, and they had an informant in the house, and his name was Judas Iscariot. Convinced of this. You, you, you watch, and you see this played out just by his actions. When Mary, in her extravagant worship, pours the, 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 the ointment, the, the perfume all over the feet of Jesus. It's in that moment that Judas is the only one in the room that becomes critical of her actions. Let me tell you, when someone's heart is not right with Christ, they will become critical of your worship. He becomes critical and he says, this money, this, this ointment, this very expensive ointment, it should have been sold. This perfume should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Jesus looks at him and says, the poor you will always have. If that's your problem, if that's what you're worried about, there's always going to be poor among you that you can take care of. He says, but I'm not always going to be here. He's preparing them for his crucifixion. He says, I'm not always going to be here. And, 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 and he rebukes Judas in that moment. You'll never convince me that they had not already got to Judas. He had to be the one to tip them off that, that Jesus was in Bethany, only two miles away from Jerusalem. He, he's the one that told them. John chapter 12, verse 9. 
When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also, here it is, also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Now get this picture. We'll keep reading here in just a moment, but, but get this. They want to see Lazarus because he's proof of the resurrection power of Christ. They come to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Did you know that? They want to kill Lazarus too because on account, verse 11, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. What Christ had done in the life of Lazarus was causing other people to believe in Jesus. Because you can't see someone who was once dead and now he is alive. You can't see that resurrection power working in someone's life and not believe in Jesus. And, and it's amazing to me how the religious leaders, they, they know the same information. They see it. They know that, that this guy Lazarus was dead. Now he's alive. And, 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 and they're concerned with that. Why, why? Why is it that some people, it can be painted right there in front of them. The picture is right there staring at it. But yet they can't see it. I told Mandy last night. I said, I do not understand this. And this is not a knock at anyone. But I do not understand how this, this, this Supreme Court decision is so polarizing. I don't understand it. How you have people who are so far this direction and people so far this direction. And neither one can, can, can see the other side. It's amazing to me sometimes that people can see Jesus right in front of them, see the resurrection power of Christ operating right in front of them, yet they are so blinded to it. Listen to me, friends. That has nothing to do with that person personally. It has everything to do with demonic forces that's blinding them. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. I'll come back to that in a moment. But our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities. It's about rulers in dark places. There's demonic forces that are influencing people and their decisions. Now they want to kill Lazarus. Have you ever survived the frying pan only to jump into the fire? That's Lazarus. The guy was dead. The first time he died, he died of natural causes. And what's amazing to me is that none of the chief priests, none of them went to Mary Martha's home and and offered their condolences you know nobody said here's a peace lily you know we're sorry your brother died they don't care they start caring once he's resurrected once the power of Jesus is operating there's people in your life that they will remain dormant until you say the name of Jesus at the moment there's Jesus resurrected in your life at the moment you start testifying you start witnessing the name of Jesus that's when you're going to see the true colors come out you're going to find out in that moment where they stand because Jesus is polarizing, friends. Jesus, he, he, he came to separate the sheep from the goats. You understand that, right? So it, it is going to cause a disturbance. Lazarus, the first time he died, he died of natural causes, and they didn't care. But what bothered them was the resurrection, because the resurrection of, of Lazarus was causing people to believe in and put their faith in Jesus. Therefore, the religious leaders wanted to kill the star witness in the case of Christ. They wanted to kill him. But I love what Jesus does. I love what God does. God doesn't say, let me put you in a witness protection program. God says, let me put you on display for the whole world to see. Lazarus, they're going to come to you. And they're going to come to know me because of you. 
Church, the enemy hates your resurrection story. I hope you understand that. The enemy hates your resurrection story. And every one of you, every one of us, we have a resurrection story. We once were dead, now we, were, we are alive. We once were blind, but now we see. We once were lost, but now we are found. We all have a resurrection story, and your resurrection story has the ability to lead people to Jesus. Can I offend you? It has the ability more than your platform, more than your politics, more than your position, more than your power, more than your personality, and more than your profession. Your witness, your testimony has the ability to change lives. But we have become so timid with, with the wonder-working power of Jesus Christ in our lives. And we're letting the world dictate what we say, when we say it, and how we say it. So it's quiet. I know it would be. I knew it would be. Every breath you take is a witness to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. The fact that you woke up this morning validates his authority and his divinity. We should be screaming it. We, we need to be shouting it. But you see, what some of us, what some of us have to do is we, we've got to learn to protect our witness. We've got to protect our, our witness. When I talk about witness protection, that's what I'm talking about. It's not, it's not you running and hiding. It's talking about protecting the testimony that you have. If the enemy can, can kill your testimony, then he can prohibit you from leading people to Jesus. But I'm telling you, this week, some of you, just, just because you're here and you're hearing this, the Holy Spirit is going before you, and he's going to give you an opportunity this week just to start, start sharing your testimony. And as you begin to unfold those pages, as you begin to share Jesus Christ, they're going to begin listening. And I'm telling you, the hardest of hearts is going to begin to melt. And, and soon, before you know it, they're going to be asking you, what must I do to be saved? What do I have to do to have the same faith and the same joy that you have? But it's never going to happen if we don't protect our testimony, protect our witness. And the enemy, the reason why he throws out these temptations in our life is, is, is in order to, to mute you, to destroy you, and so, that, so that you won't testify about it. Because if there's shame attached to your life, you don't feel like you have a voice. And so he throws temptations your way. Listen to me. Men, men you've you got to learn to protect your witness. Your testimony. Women, you've got to learn to protect. Parents, you've got to learn to protect your testimony because the enemy is out to destroy that with your children. Proverbs 14 and 25 says, a truthful witness saves lives. Isaiah 43 and 10, God declares this. He says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I love what he says in Acts 22 and 15. It says, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. He has called us to be his witnesses. Amen? I'm going to close this thing and, and, and get us out of here. But, but let, let me take you back. God... Right before first service this morning, God was dealing with me a little bit. And, and he took me to Acts chapter 3. And we don't, we don't have scriptures in the, in, in the computer for this, and, and so just, just stay with me on, on it. But in Acts chapter 3, we read about where, where Peter and John are walking to the temple to pray. It's the ninth hour. They're going to pray. Now, now let me remind you of this. This is after the, the death, resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. So, so Christ has now 
seated at the right hand of the Father. So now the, the ministry of the church is in the hands of the apostles and the early church. Peter and John are walking to the temple. They get to the gate of the temple as they're going to pray. And there's a man that the Bible says has been laid, he is lame, he is crippled, he is laid at the, at the temple gate begging of alms. He's asking people, do you have some spare change? There's no other way for him to work. There's no other way for for him to to make ends meet. He's begging for people's leftover change. Scripture tells us this. This this troubles some people, but, but to me, it shows me the power of how he wants to work through our lives. The Scripture says that every day they laid him there for years. Jesus had walked those same steps many times. That means Jesus intentionally walked past this guy numerous times as he probably laid there begging. Nevertheless, he puts the power in the hands of the apostles. Peter and John are walking into the temple. As they pass the gate, the guy says, you have any change that you could spare? Peter looks back at him and he says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to thee. Arise and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And the Bible says the guy got up and and began walking, but, but I love what the scripture tells us. Not only did the guy get up and start walking, he gets up shouting. So that's the problem with some of you right now. That, that first church of the frozen chosen, you, you got to get your shout back. You got to realize what he's done for you. And, and, and he starts shouting, he starts jumping, he starts praising. And the Bible says that, that he clings to Peter and John. He won't leave them. I wouldn't leave them either. If I had been crippled my entire life, and someone walks by me and, and, and they say some man's name, Jesus Christ, and I get up and I start walking, I want to know more about this Jesus Christ. They don't want to leave, or he doesn't want to leave them. He clings to them, and, and he walks right on into the temple. And might I remind you, he wasn't allowed to go into the temple as he was crippled. That was a law. That was a rule. That goes all the way back. I told you this last Sunday. It goes all the way back to the days of, of King David. He now is healed and he walks into the temple with them and and there's a porch that surrounds the the temple. It's called the portico and and Peter stops and Peter just starts preaching a sermon. Peter was getting really good at this preaching thing. By Acts chapter 3, it's coming out strong. Peter starts preaching and he tells the Jews that are gathered there, he says, you guys were mistaken. He said, you crucified the wrong guy. He said, you let a criminal go free, but the very one that came to redeem you of your sins, you nailed him to a cross. And he begins preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to these people. You get to Acts chapter 4, and the chief priests show up. These are the same people that wanted to silence Lazarus. He is living proof of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Let's kill him. These same men, these same religious leaders, they look at Peter and John and they want to shut them up. The Bible says that, and it was probably their dialect, probably their accent. The Bible says that the chief priests realized that Peter and John were uneducated common men. That's important. Because some of you feel unqualified to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. 
I'm telling you, every day that you wake up, you've got the opportunity to preach a sermon. The chief priests listen to Peter talking. And they reason in their minds that these are un, uh, unlearned, uneducated, common men. But the Bible says, but they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I want that to be the story of my life. I know I'm not the best orator. I know I'm not the best writer. It's taken me three and a half years to write a book. I know I'm not good at it. I know I'm not the best musician. I know I'm not the best singer. I I know that I am probably just as common as they come, except for my shoe game. But other than that, I'm pretty common. I'm pretty common. But I hope and pray that when they see me, they recognize that I have been with Jesus. They recognized that Peter and John had been with Jesus and it was threatening to them. And so then they start shouting out the threats. If you don't shut up, if you don't hush, we're going to throw you in prison. And Peter and John, they were not moved. They were not shaken. They knew that the same God that raised Lazarus from the dead was the same one that would shake the prison walls and get them out of prison. They knew and they believed that even if you kill me, I know that I'll have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Sometimes they want to shut you up because you remind them too much of Jesus. I hope and pray I remind them too much of Jesus. And church, I'm, I'm trying to be good right now. I really am. I'm trying. I'm working on a series that all of you really need to pray that I think God's going to let me preach this fall. But... Just, just bear with me, and I'm, I'm going to try not to step on the toes of that, but, but listen to me. Listen to me. Let me say this to you because this is important. The church cannot afford to be silent when society is screaming. If we don't learn to speak up for the cause of Christ... There's going to be an entire generation that never hears about Jesus. It's starting. They're silencing the church. They're silencing Christians. They're shaming us. Listen, cancel culture started long before yesterday. It didn't start 10 years ago. It didn't start in the last, in the last millennium. Cancel culture happened to Lazarus. He is a walking testimony. Let's kill him. Let's cancel him. Cancel culture started with the birth of Christ. Herod wanted to kill him. Cancel culture, it's it's nothing new. Why, Why are you so intimidated by it? The church has always had to deal with it. We only become silent when we allow them to intimidate us. And listen, I I need you to understand that I, I realize the weird balance here. Because sometimes it feels like the ones that we have to stand up against that, that, that we feel like are our enemies are also the very ones that we need to reach with the gospel. It, it puts us in, a, in this weird conundrum. I mean, it, it's a tough place for us to be as Christians. Like, like, 
you completely disagree with me. It, it happened to my daughter this week. She just put up a simple verse. No other text, no hashtag, just a verse. It's just talking about innocent life. Yes, it was right after the, the Supreme Court decision. But man, a former schoolmate of hers blasted her. The language that was used, it was, it was horrible. The four-letter words in this, in this comment back to her. And then it got to the heart of the matter. They're tired of Christians forcing their religion. It's hard when you feel like you're at war, but you also know that they need the love of Jesus Christ. So what do you do? That's when you have to pray, God, I need to be as wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. It's not easy. And I can promise you this, without the leading and the prompting and the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life, you'll get it wrong because I've gotten it wrong before. But at some point, the church has to get a backbone. And we've got to say, I'm not going to let it stand. Parents, you better listen to me. Don't you let your children think for themselves. Tweet that. I'm, I'm going to be blasted for that. I don't care anymore. I really don't. I really don't. When, when, when our twins, when Caleb and Kendall were, were minors living in our home, forget minors, as long as they were living in our home, our rules, my belief system, I don't care if you don't get it. We're going to church. I, you don't have time. You don't have time. You better teach your kids what to stand for. The world will teach them how to fall. Someone is begging for their attention. It, it better be mom and dad saying, this is what is righteous. This is what is holy. And when you get it wrong, parents, you got to be man enough. You got to be woman enough to stand there and say, mom and dad didn't get it right. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to walk forward. For me. Because I'm telling you, they're out to cancel our beliefs our convictions we can handle it we don't have to be ugly let me tell you some of you need to learn to, to probably shut your Facebook down you're not doing no wars no, no listen people's minds are not changed on Facebook they're just not they're just not you want it to be you think it could work but I promise you their guns are loaded they're ready I don't have time. Let's just keep going. It's a balance. But what I don't want us to do is, is for the sake, for the sake of being seeker sensitive, for the sake of being relevant, for the sake of, of, of trying not to offend someone, what I don't want us to do is to push all of our morals, all of our standards, all of our convictions to push them all to the back to where we look appealing and appetizing and we lose a generation in the process because we never stood for anything. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.